This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Today, we're talking with Dr. Jan Pitu, a microbiologist and professor of microbiology, immunology, and infectious diseases, as well as pathology and laboratory medicine at Calgary University. We'll be discussing bacterial species that are resistant to antibiotic carbapenem. Welcome, Dr. Pitu. Thank you, Sarah, for the invitation. Okay, to start, what are enterobacter, and are they harmful to humans? So enterobacter species belong to the family Enterobacteriaceae and are actually environmental bacteria. That means that their normal habitat, where they live and breathe, are in the soil, the water, and plants. They are actually very common causes of bulb rot in onions and potatoes. So the next time you see an onion that is, that is brown inside, that is enterobacter. Oh. As far as human pathogens go, uh, there are two species of Enterobacter species that are the most clinically relevant, Enterobacter aerogenes and Enterobacter cloacae complex. Enterobacter aerogenes have recently been moved back to the Klebsiella genus and is now named Klebsiella aerogenes. It's not an Enterobacter anymore. Enterobacter cloacae co uh, complex cause uh, infections such as urinary tract infections, bloodstream-associated infections, intra-abdominal infections, and respiratory tract infections in immunocompromised patients, especially those admitted to hospitals in ICUs or high-care units, because they have the ability uh, to survive on surfaces of inanimate objects. Intrabacter cloacae um, complex are often responsible for nosocomial outbreaks requiring stringent infection prevention and control procedures to control such outbreaks. Uh, so, sorry, backing up to the onion, um, is that, is, so is that dangerous? Well, if your immune system is normal, which I assume most people outside the hospital would be, you don't have much of a problem. So these bacteria really only affect people that and somehow the immune system is uh, not functioning normally, either being admitted to a hospital in an intensive care unit or they are having some anti-cancer therapy uh, that suppresses the immune system. For them, it can be, could be more dangerous. Ah, okay. Well, I'm going to start throwing them out more regularly anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how are enterobacter infections normally treated then? So... Uh, Enterobacter uh, species are inherently resistant to most of the beta-lactam antibiotics. And for serious infections, most physicians will use either a carbapenem, such as imipenem or meropenem, or a fluoroquinolone, such as ciprofloxacin, or a fourth-generation cephalosporin, such as cefepine, to treat such infections. For non-serious infections, such as a lower urinary tract infection, Trimethoprim sulfamatoxazole is another option if the bacteria taste sensitive to this antibiotic. Tell us about using genomic sequencing to discover different enterobacter. So the taxonomy of enterobacter cloacae complex is confusing and uncertainty still remains about what species make up this complex. 
in the early 2000s, two researchers named Hoffman and Rogenkamp sequenced a gene called HSP60 and established 12 genetic clusters within the Entrobacter cloacae complex. In 2005, the same authors further defined the taxonomy of this uh, Entrobacter cloacae complex and added uh, three species to the list. And in 2014, some Chinese colleagues described a novel Entrobacter that was uh, obtained from Chinese sourdough. In the additional identification methodology, for example, sugar fermentation and the newer multi-TOF mass spectrometry have problems in identifying these different species within Entrobacter clump complex. Therefore, most clinical laboratories will report Entrobacter species as Entrobacter cloacae complex. So where are the geographic locations of the Enterobacters that were discovered? So the, we at this study had access to bacteria obtained from two global surveillance programs. The first program is called the SMART program, which was established in 2008 and ran until 2014. And this included bacteria from intra-abdominal and urinary tract infections from 55 countries in Africa, Asia, Europe, Latin America, North America, Middle East, and the South Pacific. The second um, surveillance program is referred to as the INFORM program. This program started in 2012 and ran until 2014. And these included bacteria from intra-abdominal, urinary tract, blood, skin, and soft tissue, and lower respiratory tract infections from 42 countries in Africa, Asia, Europe, Latin America, North America, Middle East, and the South Pacific. Both programs collected 100 consecutive clinically relevant non-repeat gram-negative bacteria per annum from each of the institutions that were enrolled in this program. So apparently many of these enterobacter are developing resistance to carpapenem. Um, how do bacteria develop drug resistance? So for an antibiotic to reach its target and kill the bacterium, it needs to penetrate the outer membrane of that bacterium using a structure called a porin. Bacteria, such as intrabacters as well, can prevent antibiotics from reaching their targets by doing the following. The first thing, what they can do is they can close some of these porins. This will prevent the antibiotic from penetrating the outer membrane and is referred to as impermeability. Entrobacters specifically stop making a porin named OMPF that prevents carbapenems or other beta-lactam antibiotics from penetrating into the outer membrane. The second thing bacteria can do is they can pump out the antibiotic as it reaches the inside of the bacterium. This is referred to as efflux. And interestingly enough, this mechanism is not well defined as an important cause among Enterobacter species. And the last thing that they can do is they can produce an enzyme that binds to and activate the antibiotic. 
one of such class of enzymes are called the beta-lactamases that imply they have activity against the beta-lactam antibiotics. And carbapenemases are a type of beta-lactamase that have specific activity against the carbapenems. Of those three mechanisms, carbapenemases are considered to be the most clinically important cause of carbapenem resistance. There are two reasons for that. The first, they are associated with certain genetic elements referred to as mobile genetic elements and therefore can be transferred between different members of the Enterobacteriaceae. And secondly, Enterobacter species with carbapenemases are important causes of nosocomial outbreaks, while pollen mutants rarely cause such outbreaks. And we still don't understand why carbapenemase-producing enterobacters are such a, an important cause of nosocomial outbreaks, but not the pollen mutants. Okay. Are there different types of carbapenemases? Yes. There are, there are various beta-lactamases with activity against the carbapenems, hence the name carbapenemases. But from a global and a clinical point of view, there are really only five that are relevant. They are named the KPCs, NDMs, IMPs, the VIMs, and the OXs. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about each of those? So... NDA, uh, KPC stands for Klebsiella pneumoniae carbapenemase. This was first described as a carbapenemase in Klebsiella from North Carolina during the late 1990s. And today is considered in the USA as the, and other areas in the world as the most common and most important carbapenemase among the Enterobacteriaceae. NDM stands for New Delhi metallobetalactamase. This enzyme was first described in the late 2000s, around about 2008, from a Swedish patient that has just been transferred from India. This enzyme is endemic in the Indian subcontinent that includes Pakistan, India, and, and Bangladesh, and is often the second most carbapenemase among global surveillance studies. IMP stands for imipenemase, which implies that they um, inactivate imipenem, uh, which is a carbapenem. They are probably the oldest of the group of carbapenemases and not that common among the Enterobacteriaceae, more an important cause in, uh, among pseudomonas. VIM stands for Verona Integron Associated Metallobetalactamase. This was first described, as the name suggests, in Italy, around about the early 2000s. And again, this is an important um, carbapenemase among pseudomonas and not found that often in Enterobacteriaceae. And then the last group is the oxus. This is a very large and confusing group of carbapenemases, for, even for those people that study them. However, among the Enterobacteriaceae and Enterobacter specifically, the OXA48, which is just a number. They, these enzymes have different numbers as they are being characterized. OXA48 is the most common one. And interestingly enough, the uh, countries in North Africa, Middle East, and Turkey is endemic for uh, 
Enterobacteria with OXA48. Okay, your study looked at Enterobacter from around the world in the years 2008 through 2014. What were you looking for? So the objective of the study was to take these two global collections, as I mentioned before, of Enterobacter cloacae complex, just about 160 of these bacteria, and we were going to identify the following. First is uh, we wanted to determine the species of uh, the Enterobacter cloacae that were the most common. Secondly, we wanted to define if there's any dominant clones among these species. And what I mean by that is, is there a certain clone among these species that are more common uh, than other clones? And then we wanted to take these clones, if they were dominant clones, and we wanted to further identify them into sub clones, which is referred to as clades. Then we wanted to look at if there's any specific geographical distribution associated with these different species, the different clones, and if we have finds, if we found clades among the clones, were there different geographic distribution of these clades as well. And the fourth thing that we would like, wanted to do is we wanted to take the carbapenemase gene and looked at mobile genetic elements that is surrounding this carbapenemase gene. And the reason for that is mobile genetic elements are responsible for moving carbapenemase genes within bacteria and sometimes between bacteria. And for Enterobacter, that type of information is, is still not that common. So we wanted to look at these type of elements and characterize them for future uh, researchers if they wanted to do something similar. And what did you find? So as far as the first objective goes, we identified eight different species among our collection, but these consisted mainly of two species, uh, Enterobacter siang fungensis, and I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that completely different because it's a Chinese word, and Enterobacter holmaceae subspecies Steiger Volti, which obviously comes, sounds like it comes from Germany. The most common carbapenemase among these group was actually the VIMS, which was a bit of a surprise to us because I mentioned before that VIMS are common among Pseudomonas. It's not really a common carbapenemase among the Enterobacteria. So that was, that was that's something that we did not expect when we started out with the study. And then the second most carbapenemase was, Indi- was NDMs, followed by KPCs, OXA48, and the IMPs. The different species were associated with different types of carbapenemases. What I mean by that is there wasn't one specific carbapenemase that was associated with a specific species. So the carbapenemases tend to be present in all the different species and they showed a global distribution, the different species. Um, but we did see some interesting global distribution of some of the species. For example, the Chinese one, the Enterobacter ziang fungensis, was frequent in the Balkans, and the Balkans is Croatia, Romania, and Serbia, while Enterobacter hormacea subspecies Tiger Volti, this is the second most common species, was mostly prevalent in Greece and in Vietnam. As far as the second objective, 
this was trying to identify if there was any dominant clones among this collection of ours. We found four clones. The first clone, and this is just a number, it's just as a different clone is being identified among a species as they come into the centralized website that is responsible for maintaining these clones, they give them a number. So as you, you start, it's ST1 would be the first one, and then it carries on as people send their sequencing into this website. So the most common clone that we found was numbered ST114. This was present among the species Yangfangensis and had a global distribution. There wasn't one specific country where this clone was more common uh, than, say, um, than, than, than it was just a global. It was all over the world. We could divide that um, clone into four different clades, and it was interesting to note that the clades tended to have a certain global uh, a certain global restriction. For example, the clade, which we numbered clade B, this was specifically a Greek clone, while the, clone, uh, the clade A was a global clone. So that was another interesting thing. We, it seems like certain clades within this clone tend to be more global, while other clades tend to be more restricted to certain countries. Then the second most common clone that we found was ST93. This consisted only of one clade, so we were not able to differentiate them into different clades. This suggests that this um, clone is then more closer to each other, there's different members of a clone, while within the previous one, like ST114, the members tend to be a little bit more separate, and you can divide them into subclones or clades, but not for this, this specific clone. This had a, had a global distribution. We could not find that there was any country where it specifically uh, was more prevalent, and also it had different carbapenemases. There wasn't one specific carbapenemase associated with this clone. The other two clones that we found was ST90 and ST78. And here what's interesting is that ST90 was mostly a Greek clone, while ST78 tend to have a global distribution. So what does it really mean? We're not really sure yet, but it's important to document that you have certain clones and certain clades within these clones that are, are certain, so some of them are global. There has to be a reason why they are global, while others tend to be more restricted to certain countries. So more of a localized type of, uh, a type of approach. And then as far as our third objective, um, wanted to mention that we were able to characterize the immediate um, genetic environments of these carbapenemases genes in the majority of isolates. And we also described in 14 novel structures that was associated with KPCs, NDMs, the VIMs, and OXA48 carbapenemases. What do these results mean in the larger trend of antibiotic resistance? Is this another, another area we should be worried about? Um, so the study identified then the different species and described the important global clones and their respective clades associated with carbapenemases. We were able to describe their global distribution and the association with different mobile genetic elements. 
we noticed that some clones with the same carbapenemase can move between certain countries. But then they are associated with different mobile genetic elements within each country. It's sort of as people immigrate to a country, a new country, after a while they tend to pick up the local accent. We see the same with antimicrobial resistant clones. They tend to pick up the local genetic element as they move between different countries and they establish themselves in such a new country. These associations demonstrate that certain mobile genetic elements have the ability to easily move between clones and clades of Enterobacter species on a global scale. And this was highlighted by one clone, um, numbered ST78, with the VIM type of carbapenemases that circulated, we could clearly show that circulated between Greece, Italy, and Spain. And I assume this is due to the fact that these countries must share patients uh, in hospital settings. There obviously is transfer of patients between, between these three countries. Then a special concern that we found was we described a common NDM genetic structure. We just named it NDM GEUS uh, because we thought it, it sounds good and it makes sort of sense to name it that. But this genetic element was first found in, on a plasmid from a Klebsiella pneumoniae in 2010 uh, in the USA from a patient that just returned from India. And we found this NDM genetic structure, NDM GEUS, among six different species, 14 different clones, and obtained from six countries across four continents showing that such a genetic element can easily move between different species because it was first described in Klebsiella pneumonia, then found its way among the Entrobacter species, and then moved between different um, countries, but not uh, using a clone. So this is a mobile genetic element that moves between different species, different clones, different clades across the world. I didn't really expect that, to be honest. That was quite, a, quite an exciting finding of this um, in this study. So, to summarize, this study supports the current understanding that the carbapenem-resistant pandemic is both the consequence of circulating clones as well as the spread of mobile genetic elements. And we sh showed that using surveillance programs that uses the latest molecular technique provides insight into the characteristics, the global distribution of clones, clades, and their associated and their association with mobile genetic elements. So it's exciting, fine, you said, but should we be worried? Well, we don't really know yet what it means. It just so, so the biggest thing, uh, surprise that we found here is that it seems that um, among Entrobacter species, uh, this pandemic of carbapenemases is due to the, the mobile genetic elements that surrounds the carbapenemase gene and basically take these type of carbapenemase genes from one species, one clone, one clade to another, and then travels across the globe, it looks like it. 
so how do you stop such a spread of carbapenemase genes that can move so seemingly effortlessly between um, between different species? And it will be very, very difficult to do. Uh, we always assumed that this carbapenemase pandemic is due to bacteria that spread, but it looks like although bacteria plays an important role, it's more a mobile genetic element that's spreading between different bacteria. And our whole approach to this, uh, as far as infection prevention control, might have to take a different approach because you now you don't have a clone that sort of moves. It's more of a genetic element that moves between different clones. And we might have to look at this and see if, this, if our traditional infection prevention control procedures will be able to efficiently really stop this spread because at the moment we are not stopping any spread. This is just continuing and spreading across the globe. Yikes. Um, okay, so along those lines, are there any next steps that you're going to take or that you suggest taking? So one of the limitations of our study was that we were not able to characterize the plasma. So a plasmid is, if I can put it to this way, the mobile genetic elements can be classified into two different groups. The first group has the ability to move genes within a bacterium. And these are the ones that we were able to describe. However, there's another group that takes this genes and move it between bacteria. And these are plasmids, are probably the, the most important of these, this group. And due to the fact that we used a technique called short-read sequencing, we were not able to characterize the plasmids. And we need to do that because we've showed now that those genetic elements within the bacterium that can move genes within bacteria seem to be widespread among different bacteria and different um, clades and, and clones within intrabacter. However, we don't really yet understand how they moved in between these two, uh, these um, different clades and, and clones. And for that, we need to characterize the plasmids that probably were taking these genes from one bacterium to another bacterium. And uh, so we are in the process, actually, of now using a different technique called long-read sequencing. And now we're going to be characterizing and creating a library of this different plasmids and the other mobile genetic elements that are responsible for moving carbapenemases in intrabacter on a global scale. Okay. Tell us about your job and, and how it relates to this study and how you became interested in this research. I'm a, I'm a medical microbiologist, as you mentioned up front. I have a dual appointment. Um, I work for Calgary Laboratory Services, where I do 50% of my time uh, as, a, as a medical microbiologist. And, and this, uh, this implies that this is my clinical job, and I sort of uh, service the one of the microbiologists that service the Calgary region as a microbiologist. And then the second, um, I have a second appointment. This is at the University of Calgary where I do research and teaching. And so this study was basically part of that, part of my um, of my uh, my job description where we do a little bit of research and, um, and do molecular epidemiology. Um, I come from um, a beta-lactamase background. Um, I did my um, 
post doc in Pizzalactamases back a long time ago in the U.S. Uh, when I qualified as a medical microbiologist and then um, was always been really interested and fascinated by um, by resistance in gram-negative. So I really only work in gram-negatives. I don't really work in gram-positive bacteria and find gram-negatives fascinating. So we'll be continuing this for sure. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Pitu. Listeners can read the June 2018 article, Genomic Epidemiology of Global Carbapenemase Producing Enterobacter Species 2008 through 2014, online at cdc.gov eid. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.